This is Matthew, the parish pastor at Trinity in Decatur, and happy Easter to you. I wish that we were together right now. This would be so much better if we were all in a room with one another celebrating, but I'm just glad that we get to do this. I'm glad that we can be even in our own spaces, but still gathered around this idea with one another that you and I live in a world in which there's been a resurrection. The truest thing about the world that you and I woke up in today is that God is alive, that Jesus is alive, and he's walked out of a tomb. I want to read the story of that resurrection. Uh, as, as you hear it, remember that the people who experienced this, all of them were living at a time where all they had were questions. There were no answers. The predominant emotion of this moment was confusion. People didn't understand why what had happened was happening and what was going to happen from here. Um, and into that confusion, into that anxiety, something happened unexpected that changed everything forever. And so here's the story from John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. And then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. Now the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Very important information for you and me to know. And reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who reached the tomb first, uh, also went in and he saw and believed, for he did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said that she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we live in a world in which life has triumphed over death. As the Orthodox sing, Christ has triumphed over death, risen from the dead, conquering death by death, and on those in the tombs, bestowing life. And Lord, we are acutely aware today of those in the tombs that all of us bear in our nature a propensity toward the tomb. And so God, we thank you that you 
have had the final word. Lord, would you please give us joy in the midst of sorrow? In the midst of grief, Lord, would you help us celebrate? Would you give us a taste of how good and sweet it is that we live in a world in which Jesus is alive? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's important for you to know how we got to where we are at this point in the story. It's necessary for it to all make sense. And so we begin at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth at this time was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was brooding like a mother hen over the waters, like one nursing over, brooding over her eggs. And it says that God spoke. And he spoke existence into existence. And the crescendo of his song, the crown of his creation, was you and me. People, human beings, meant to look like him and mirror him and reflect him, made in his image is how the Bible says it. People who are meant to image God on the earth, the same God who had lovingly and beautifully and creatively uh, cared about every detail of the universe he'd made, from butterfly wings to daisy petals to the way a dog's tail wags when he's happy or how the sunset turns the sky purple and orange. That same God who cares about every little detail. He entrusted this earth, this planet to you and me and said, take care of it in my name and we'll do this with one another. And he planted a garden. And in that garden, he put this man and this woman whom he had made. And he said, let's begin with this piece of land. Tend to make it... Um, Make it a place in which my glory, my presence is felt and seen. And that's what was meant to actually happen. From that garden, pushing out into the rest of the world, was meant to emanate the glory of God. What God is like was meant to be seen and felt in every human interaction. And every time we touched creation, it was supposed to be in our fingertips. And instead, of course, that's not what happened at all. What came out of the garden instead almost immediately was death and murder and, and tribalism and genocide and injustice and oppression and, and slavery. Scarcity, this is the thing that instead came out of that garden and pushed out into all creation and has been ever since. And while it is true that there has been alongside the darkest parts of human history, there has always been a resiliency and a beauty and an exquisite goodness that has moved alongside with the darkness and the brokenness and the death of humanity. What is ultimately true is that over top even the greatest goodness that we have ever achieved as human beings over top it marching relentlessly has always been death and we live in a world right now in which death is visibly you can see the count going up every day death is marching across the globe as not as a, not as though that were a novel idea just as a reminder this is what the world is like this is the sort of universe that you and I live in in which death continues to push forward and nothing can stop it. Now the question so naturally to ask in this moment would be, well, where is God in all that? If God had this great idea, this grand, you know, plan, and he does a garden and he puts people in and he says, we're going to do this together. Where is he now in the suffering and the death? And what the gospels tell us is that you will find God not on the fringes of suffering and death, but you will find him right in the beating heart, right in the middle, the center. God is at ground zero for all human suffering and creation suffering in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus on the cross is the definitive word about where we find God. He is not on the outskirts of suffering, but right here in the middle alongside us. But 
The cross is not the final word. Suffering and loss and death and grief are not the final word, which is what we celebrate today. And what we see in this text about what God has done through the resurrection, we see that God is doing three things through the resurrection. And I'm just going to tell them to you one at a time. The first thing we see in this text is that God is rescuing creation. There's a, there's a detail in the story. It's easy to miss. The detail is that this whole thing is taking place in a garden. If you go back just a couple of verses, right before the end of chapter 19, we see now there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. He decides to place the whole event in a garden. And not just that, but when Mary, the first person to see the risen Jesus, when Mary sees Jesus, she mistakes him for what? For a gardener. Now, John is not just being poetically brilliant here, although he is being that. He is letting us know that God insisted he insisted on the whole setting being reminiscent and a reminder that this thing begins in a garden and it begins again in a garden. It's as though God were saying, it is not simply enough to save a human soul and it's not even enough to save a human being. We're going to save the whole thing. We're going to go back to ground zero. We're going to go back to square one. We are going to start in a garden and from this new garden, now, what will push out and emanate into the universe from it forever and ever is life and justice and peace. And it says in the prophets that one day the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what's been pushing out of this garden ever since. God wants you to know that he cares about this place, all of it everything you see, which is why it says in Romans chapter 8 that if you and I had ears to hear, we would hear the trees groaning. We would hear the trees right alongside you and me saying, how long until we are fully restored, until we are fully rescued? God is rescuing all of creation. The second thing we see in this story is that God is resurrecting bodies. I don't think that you and I will probably ever take for granted again how much embodiment means. I mean, that collective sigh that we're all feeling right now for something more than a Zoom call, that collective sigh is because you and I are bodies looking for contact, presence with other human bodies. Uh, an author whom I really love and an Anglican priest, uh, a woman named Tish Harrison Warren wrote an op-ed in the New York Times this week. And this is what she wrote. She says, for Christians, the most holy thing on earth, more than communion, the Sistine Chapel, the Holy Grail, or the Rocky Mountains. For Christians, the most holy thing on earth is the human body. The story of creation in the Bible reminds us that we are humans, that we humans are bodies. We are not simply brains on a stick or souls trapped in a mortal prison. We believe bodies and souls are inseparably intertwined. And then she says, and we believe that God came not as a book or as a codex of laws or as a hologram or a creed or an idea, but as a person in a body, Jesus. In assuming a body, God redeems embodiment, and therefore we believe in the resurrection, not merely of the soul, not floating away to some ephemeral mist, but also the resurrection of the body. 
there is something to grasp from all that we are learning in this season right now. Why the resurrection is such good news for you and me. The ache that so many of us are feeling right now. The ache for something more than FaceTime feasting. To see a person, to be close enough even to smell them. Even if it's a bad smell, to hear another person singing, even if they can't sing well. That desire that you and I are experiencing right now is met and satisfied in a God who says it's not just enough to save souls. We're going to save bodies. And that thing you're sitting in right now is going to be around forever with you. And it might be different and you might be faster and stronger and whatever. But it's going to be with you in a million years because God cares about it. Your body matters to God. It's an incredible thing to realize that, um, that God has decided to save all of it. And your future and my future is a, an embodied future. It is a dancing, singing, eating, drinking, laughing, uh, handshaking, and hugging future. That's, that's what our future is. And we know it's true because Jesus walked out of a tomb. The person that Mary is clinging to in the story is not a phantom. It's not an apparition. It is not a hologram. It is a human being who had been dead moments before and now is standing there breathing, speaking. And today that person is still breathing and speaking. The third thing we see from this text is that God not only rescues creation, he not only resurrects bodies, but he also restores justice. He restores justice. Now, the reason we can say that is because the very first thing the resurrected Jesus does is he enacts a just act towards uh, a marginalized and disenfranchised people. By looking at Mary, not John, not Peter, not any of the other men, by looking at Mary and saying, you go, you be the person to speak. He says from the very beginning, this resurrection is going to be about justice on the earth too. Now, you and I are in a time, a season right now, in which our, our society, our culture, is in a crucible of sorts. And the things that are coming out about us, are, it's becoming apparent to you and me that there is actually more inequity than some of us realized. That the systemic inequity that is actually a part of the daily life and reality for many people in access to things like medical care, or sick leave, or education, or meals and food, and so on and so forth, the inequity is broader and deeper than some of us even realize. And the question on the other side of this is going to be, are we learning from this? Are we going to change things because of this? And maybe we will. Maybe there'll be more justice on the other side of this. God, let it be. Or maybe there'll be less justice on the other side of this. But here's one thing we know for sure. God, who has the final word in the story, God is going to bring justice to all one day. As Dr. King loved to say, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice and that is because we have a just God. At a time when women were not, and this is, this, is, this is shameful to us now, it's unthinkable to us now to imagine a world like this, but a time when women were not even permitted to speak in many, in many uh, professional settings where their, their testimony was not admissible in court, um, Josephus tells us that it was because of the, the levity and the temerity of their sex they were not permitted to speak in court. At this time, Jesus says, you're going to be the witness. You're going to be the testimony, not the guys, which means means that from the very beginning, in order to believe the gospel, in order to be a Christian, you had to believe that you could trust what came out of the mouth of a woman. 
And God gave a voice to those who'd had their voice taken from them. God executes justice on the earth. And this is the reality of what is now at work in the world and pushing out from the garden, from the empty tomb, into the world. Restoration of, crea of creation, restoration of justice, resurrection of the body, hope of life after death. And yet the reality is, is that we, I come to you this morning on a video and you're watching in a home, in an apartment, you're, wa you're, watching, you're watching on your couch right now because we can't be together because we live in a time in which the most obvious thing that we are all aware of right now is disease and danger and economic struggle. That's the thing that we're most aware of. And the question for how do you and I live into this Easter story, how do we live into the resurrection in light of that, is just where I want to land briefly. Um, this, this, this year, you and I do not have the, the luxury of practicing Lent with one another. We are having to live it. Uh, we've had, many of us have had the privilege and the luxury for years of being able to take Lent kind of out of a box and dust it off and put it on for 40 days. You know, oh yes, I will acknowledge my mortality. I'll acknowledge my frailty. And then after 40 days, I take it off. I put it back in the box and I go into 50 days of celebration and then into life as normal. But that's not going to happen this year for us. Lent continues. We're, we're going we're gonna to stay in a suspended state of of anticipation and grief that the death count's going to continue to climb. We're going to stay sheltered for a while still. It's going to be hard to feel like Easter. But let me remind you that for many millions and even billions of people throughout human history, their life has felt far more like a perpetual Lent than a perpetual Easter. It's actually an incredible luxury that many of us have had for a while of being able to sort of move in and out of these seasons effortlessly. Um, most people in the world live in Lent, a perpetual Lent, not a movable feast. Um, and yet, most people throughout human history, the church throughout all seasons of darkness, has always been able to feast, even if it's a meager feast, to raise a glass as a defiant nevertheless. Yes, it is true that there are things that we cannot control or contain right now, and they are scary. But what is more true is that God tells long stories, and we know the end of that story. And the end of the story is life. The end of the story is justice. The end of the story is rescue. And so we can choose as an act of defiance and resiliency, as an, as an act of discipline, to keep the feast for 50 days with one another to fight for joy, to choose life. Because what is most true right now is that Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, then life has the last word, not death. I heard our bishop say this week, Jesus right now is living the most interesting and consequential life imaginable in the universe. And he is currently stewarding all of creation towards its intended end. And that is the world that you woke up in today. That's the world that I woke up in today. And that is true because Jesus came back to life. The tomb is empty. And so, grace to you. Grace is divine strength, divine power. So grace to you today to feast, to eat, and to drink, to laugh until your face hurts, 
to sing songs spontaneously, grace to you to keep the feast. Mike is going to sing a song at this point, and it's a song that is meant to remind us that we belong to God, that we are in God's hands. And after the song, we're going to come back together, we're going to pray with one another, and then we have a video that we've made that we want to share with you at the very end of the, of the service. So please stick around. <laughs>